0: The Al and
1: Lingy shows. Brilliant tap work, Gresham curling, curling, magnificent all round. Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang, and the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. Collingwood Kings of the close one, the Cats, again game here, as they also make it nine in a row. Richmond conspires against Richmond again. And the Bulldogs reinvigorate their season as Jamara eugle Hagen brings a breakout performance. Hello and welcome to the Alan Lingy Show. Great to have your company, Cameron Ling. We have seen an extraordinary round of football, really.
2: Oh, how good is footy? Oh, I, just Rounds like this just remind me that, yes, we go through some ordinary games. And, yes, we love to focus on things that... Really don't matter that much, but at the heart of it all, it is a magnificent sport. I absolutely love footy, and you and I were both at the MCG today and had a ball. It was an incredible game, and the reaction when Jamie Elliott nailed that kick and turned to the crowd and the celebration of his teammates in the crowd, it was just pure joy. No, it was fantastic, Al. I-, I loved this round. You mentioned Jamari eugle Hagen. I'm glad Luke Beveridge listened to us, Al. Just play him; he'll get better and better and more confidence. And look out when he uh, when he explodes, and he did on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, footy's a good sport; it really is. I always feel like I am in great company with you, Geelong's last premiership-winning captain. Well, we've got a Brownlow medalist with us tonight as well. Our special guest on the program is Patrick Dangerfield. Danger, great to have you with us. Be with you, boys. Looking forward to it. And your game. The momentum swings we saw in Collingwood and Essendon today, similar in your clash against Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval, that, that was a, such a high-intensity game of football. What was it
0: like being out there? Yeah, well, it was it was, um, you know, we, we went in at half-time. Uh, I won't say resting on our laurels, but we felt like we were in a, you know, really good position. We were playing good footy, and then Port just came out of the blocks in that third. And um, with the, the rule changes that, you know, obviously the AFL has integrated over the last few years. It does make it so difficult to stem the flow during the quarter, but what it gives as a spectator, and we saw it again today. Obviously, you mentioned the the Essendon Collingwood game. Just these incredible quarters of footy where there is just goals galore, and it's it can be frustrating as a player, but it is a great thing for our game. I think.
2: I get a sense, Patty, that we're going to see a team in Port Adelaide who is one of the better teams in the competition not playing finals. They, The way they played and the style and intensity and the tackling pressure and everything was right up there with you guys who are the best team in the competition right now, but they're probably not going to feature in September.
0: Yeah, it was, it's funny, Lee. I was actually having the same conversation with Chris Scott post-game when we were talking about the teams outside of the eight and how good they are it's, you know, yeah, there's a few outliers and, and, you know, those teams are obvious with West coast weather at North Melbourne, et cetera. But i tell you what, the rest, it, it is on any given day, any team can win. And, and that's genuine. That's not, you know, the, what can be the the same spiel that, you know, we reel off from club land from time to time, but it's genuine. And and we've seen that with the results throughout this season. And, you not having the ability to clog up defenses and run numbers behind the play because of the, you know, these interpretational rule changes. It's been a great thing for the game. The game is in such a healthy state and, um, you know, it's been a wonderful year having had a couple of pretty crappy years with, you know, limited crowds, COVID. It just feels like the game is really starting to stretch its wings.
1: It really struck me, Paddy, the way your team was under so much pressure early in that game, but your capacity to withstand it, absorb it, and then claw your way back and then totally take control of the game the way you did in the, the second quarter. How how real was that pressure you were under out there? How much were you feeling it? And how hard was it to deny Port Adelaide when they were throwing so much at you early?
0: Well, it's it's definitely real. And we knew, we knew that was coming given the – the circumstances that Port find themselves in every every week is is quite clearly critical for them as it is for us. Given the you know the logjam at the top end of the ladder, so we knew it was coming. It's another thing to then withstand that pressure and then apply some of our own and generate scoring chains. We're able to really execute well in that second quarter, as you said, and then three quarter comes around and and we were still really quite calm, to be honest. It was a it was a bit of a horror quarter, but that's the beauty of AFL footy. There's four quarters. We reset ourselves. Tom Atkins spectacular in that last quarter, and so many other um, little moments from from players that they had. Jed Bues, in defence, and then you see Tom Hawkins kick two goals in the last five minutes of play. There's so many different little idiosyncrasies that that form and build that um, you know what is the the rounded performance in the end. But um, you know, we we still had really. Um, you know, strong confidence that. All right, let's let's reset here. Yep, they've had the run, but we've experienced this throughout the entire season at different stages. Um, we know what to do. We know how to get ourselves back in this game.
2: My my boys, Al Max has got I think number thirty five on his jumper. The man we're talking to, Henry's got number twenty six on his jumper, and Jed, my youngest, has got the number fourteen, the skipper, on his jumper. Push them all the aside. forty-five,
1: Lingy? What happened?
2: No, forget. Oh well, no, don't forget about forty-five because we love he's Brad. Very Close. Good. But push those other three aside for a second. Tom Atkins. I want them all wearing number thirty right now. <laughs> he was phenomenal. On the Santa junkyard.
0: Oh, the junkyard dog, Lingy.
2: <laughs> what a game! What a last quarter!
0: Yeah, he. Um, he's a terrific story. Once again, uh, another wonderful pick. By our recruiting staff, um, but but Tom's he's earned the opportunity. He has worked his absolute backside off, toiled throughout, you know, the VFL in and out at different stages, uh, playing as that small half forward role, one of the most difficult positions to play in the AFL, I think. And then finds himself across half back throughout that 2020 season, and then this year, you know, he's really given us a different dynamic as that. Uh, in and under midfield, a phenomenal pressure player, um, you know, brazilian all the things that you want to instill in, in you know, a player earning um, the respect from his peers in the competition. He's He's gone from strength to strength this season. He's been such a big part of the success, the success that we've had
1: Nick Dacos has had a brilliant season, obviously. Lingy's on the All Australian selection panel and the rising star selection panel danger. He was making a case for Sam DeConing last week, saying it wasn't necessarily a one-horse race, the rising star. What sort of a case would you make for Sam DeConing and how impressed have you been with him this year? Yeah,
0: incredibly impressed. He um, you know, for a third-year player and the big boys take a little bit longer. Uh he's really competitive. He has this relaxed persona, you know, he lives in Torquay, uh, wears bare feet into the footy club, but behind that is a real steely resolve around how good he wants to be and how quickly he wants to get to, you know, being one of the better players in the, in the competition. So I love that about him. It's a, it's a really nice balance. I think he's had a terrific season. Um, you know, and, and there's been times where he's, you know, he's on the last line and, I would think, you know, being a young player, just spoil it, get it out of play, and he marks them. You know, like he's got this this confidence that I think he's only going to grow. Uh, so he, he's had a wonderful season. Uh, Nick, quite clearly, you know, you think back to the players that have, you know, burst onto the scene and had terrific first years, his, his season matches up, you know, with any of those players. And then I even think... You know internally what it's done for for Josh as well at Collingwood. You know you see your brother come in and and all this um, the, the kudos surrounding him. I think his season's been been terrific as well. He's really you know taken his game to the next level. And I reckon there's that really nice balance of you know all right the little bros in. He's going well. I want to make sure that I'm I'm playing great footy as well. And and I'm uh, I'm mentioned around that. Oh, I reckon he's been terrific. He's been um, you know unheralded at times and kicked a phenomenal goal to uh, this afternoon.
1: Yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? We need to really drill down on that clash at the MCG and want to get your take on Jack Ginevan as well. He had his head taken off in the first quarter. Didn't get a free kick, and that's going to lead to more discussion around what is essentially the the Ginnivan rule, really, or the, the reinterpretation or the. The realigning of of the rule, the reminder that um you know ducking will not be paid and, and will likely lead to holding the ball. But was that goal of the year today? Draper kicked an absolute beauty last week, but what the Dacos goal? He's won it before back in 2020. I think it was probably the best goal I've seen this year. What do you guys reckon? I'll
2: let I'll, I was going to let you have that one, Patty, and well, <laughs> rave about it because I was there today. I, I I think right now it's the clubhouse leader. I'm, I'm trying to think of better ones there's been a sarong one i think i think there's been a is it been a jack nunes one which running towards the boundary drapers was something special look, look great- I,
0: I understand that but you've you've experienced this you know you can have a conversation with the ruckman and tell them you know we're going to hit it to this spot and it just goes out the window <laughs> they hit to the other spot you know yeah like the ruckman are on a different planet
2: <laughs> and it's
0: and I don't want to you know put them all in the same basket, but it's true. You speak to any midfielder or any other positional player, and they are a special breed, Ruckman in themselves. So I think because of that, you know, just tapping the ball, he's done a little bit more than that. Out of the CB, the fend off, the check yep. side kick. I don't know how you go past that because they're a little bit different, Ruckman. I hope <laughs> well, hey, Brad
1: Ottens is listening, Lingy. He'd be just working on one of those tables of <laughs> the sander would be going in a little bit harder based on that interpretation of Ruckman, I reckon.
2: I, uh, I caught up with the
1: great Otto last night.
2: Uh, we went to his house down on uh, what he calls the farm, I think five acres, and uh, watched the game, watched uh, the Cats take on Port. And it's always magnificent catching up with him and catching up with any Ruckman because Paddy's right. They are <laughs> special. They are very, very special. They, they <laughs> we love them. Run, Funnest person to spend any time with at the entire footy club. So you got a point. And you know what else adds to Sam Drapers? His celebrations.
1: The flowing oh, yes.
2: mullet and just yes. going for it in the crowd. Yeah. That does put a bit of extra onto it.
1: There was a great one today too from him charging off after he picked another great goal. Um, Danger, you mentioned Ruckman. How's your Ruckman going? What sort of an update can you offer on Reese Stanley?
0: Yeah, I think he'd be doubtful this week. You know, that's sort of where it sits right here right now. It's obviously a day post post the game, but I think at the moment he'd be he'd be doubtful. But um, I think our main session's Wednesday, so it'll be a it'll be a quite couple of days for Reese and see where he's at. I think he had a scan this morning um, at uh, Olympic House in uh, in Melbourne, so I think you know wait on the results of that and then sort of find out where he's at. But We've had a really strong policy this year, and I know you wrote about it last week um, or the week before, um, around availability and... Not taking unnecessary risks when we don't need to. We've got a strong, healthy list at the moment, and if you're not totally right to go, well, it's you know it's it's next cut off the ranks, and um, you know we've got some really you know strong performing players in the VFL, and John, John Segler's really started to hit his straps uh, after a really you know interrupted first half of the season. So, you know, I would say we'd take a conservative approach, but we'll have to wait and see with you know where the coaches are at the end of the week.
1: And the approach with you, Danger, was a conservative approach. Take some time off, get your calf right during a period of the year when the team could you know, afford to have you out of the side for a few weeks. You're such a powerful player and naturally your calves are going to play a big part in your capacity to burst from stoppages. Lingy said last week it had been the right move, a bold call from Geelong that had clearly paid off. For you, physically,
0: how good a move has it been, do you think? Yeah, it's made a huge difference. It's... um. You don't feel at the time. You just want to get back and play as quickly as you can. But when you remove yourself and you look back now and go, yep, it's the right call. And whilst it hasn't been under the, the ideal circumstances with the Tommy Stewart, we've had four weeks without him. We've been out to nail all four games. And, you know, he'll be a, a cat on a hot tin roof next week against the Western <laughs> Bulldogs. So, you know, we've had different players throughout, you know, the season who have, who have missed periods of play. But by the time we've gotten them in a position to get back and playing, you know, they're at the, the right um, you know, round off to training to be able to really perform once they get back.
2: How much convincing did you need? How big a job was it for the coaches and the, and the medical staff and that to, to get your head around it?
0: Probably the, the first week or so where you just sort of, you know, the balance of getting back quickly versus, all right, if it's going to be elongated, then what's the training look like? To be able to really you know go pretty bloody hard so we're really lucky with the setup that we've got we've obviously got a um a a heat room that we can change to to any temperature the same with altitude so you can really work our players that are not playing or need top-up conditioning whatever it might be so it was just structuring that right and then because it was a reoccurrence with that with my calf it was it was easier in a sense that it's right i don't want to do it again so whatever it is to to bulletproof it and in the end it took a little bit longer simply because of the extra load that we were trying to put through you know that part of my body that everything else starts to get sore because we were really um you know doing some some pretty solid conditioning and leg leg work for it that just started to get sore in the other uh, the other parts of my body so um but that's the, the pragmatic approach around, you know, best case, long term, you know, performance oriented.
1: So yet another season danger where your, your cats are setting yourselves up to have a, an opportunity, a really good opportunity to contend for a premiership. A lot's been talked about the way you're playing, the way you move the ball in comparison to, to recent seasons this year and the changes have been made. Within the group at the moment, how are you feeling about where you're positioned, the style of football you're playing, and also the makeup of of your group that's changed a little bit? Are you more confident than you've been before that this could be a special year?
0: Yeah, to be honest, and it doesn't. I hope it doesn't make a headline, but I don't feel like we're anywhere near where we can get to. Always felt that first half of the season for us with the adjustments we've made around game style, they've only been slight, but they have been. There have been adjustments that, you know, probably cost us a, f- a, f- a few tight games at different stages. As we are adjusting to being a little bit more aggressive, um, but I feel like we've started to really get our groove in the second half of the season. And I feel like now we're we're building and building, and you know, uh, whilst it wasn't ideal that third quarter, it also it, it shows you human. Yep, if we don't get our game right, and the opposition do. Then we are as susceptible as anyone, but we can rectify it and 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 get our game going humming very very quickly. So the confidence is building certainly internally. Um, you know you know what's coming, but with how tight this season is, you've you know you've got to take care of what's in front of you. So that's you know that takes maturity, and that's what our group has. So you know we're a well experienced group, but I feel like we've got a really nice blend at the moment with some younger players coming through. Uh, and I feel like our best footy is in front of us.
1: Which is scary for other teams, isn't it, Lingy? And Melbourne, we were talking about earlier in the season, it was Melbourne and then a huge gap to the next best, which sort of felt like Brisbane. But now Geelong has taken the mantle as the benchmark team in the competition. We'll move on to to Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs because that was a great game of football, absorbing game. Danger's obviously... Had a look at that. I'd imagine with the Western Bulldogs being their next opponent. Need to talk about Collingwood and Essendon at the G today. One of the games of the season as well. But is Melbourne coming back to the pack? Are you seeing a more vulnerable Melbourne side now, or do you still have the faith in in the Demons and what they're capable of doing?
2: I've, I've still got faith in in what they're capable of. I think we're, what we're seeing is a demonstration of just how hard it is to go back to back and to be hunted every single week. Uh, they're their very best is still good enough, and and will push every team, and possibly still beat every team. Um, but I, I think they haven't quite battered down their best eighteen, or their best twenty-two, or their best twenty-three, however you want to put it. Uh, their forward lines are work in progress, which has got a couple of little holes there. Their midfield is just outstanding, um, but gets beaten at times when you can when you can fix up around the contest and and Clayton Oliver and Petrarca and Viney and these players can't, aren't able to dominate there, then spreading away from them, uh, you, you, can, you can potentially get them. Defensively, they can be very good. But again, the good teams. It, so it, what we're just seeing is still a very, very good team getting picked apart by the other very good teams in the competition because everybody is looking at them and studying them and hunting them. And it, it'll shift to a bunch of teams now looking at Geelong and going, oh, hang on a second. Okay, so we've got to prepare for Melbourne come September and we've got to understand what Brisbane do. But hang on a second, what exactly are Geelong doing? So that that hunted mindset and uh, and I suppose really studying will we'll shift to the cats. And, and that's something you've just got to deal with. And I think Geelong's ability to be even across the entire ground is what sets them up really well. I think Melbourne have got, two of the zones absolutely elite as a midfield and defence. I just think their forward line's probably the other little piece that just needs to come together for them once we hit September. But they're right there, no question
0: at all.
1: Danger, what caught your eye about the Western Bulldogs? We know their capabilities. When they're on, they are lethal. bontempelli has been superb the last couple of weeks in wins over St Kilda. And, and now Melbourne, who they were soundly beaten by in the grand final last year, You've got to have a, a fairly good opposition coming down the highway. And we saw how tight things were with Gary Rowan's goal after the siren last season. So yes. these two teams have had some very tight finishes over the years. I remember Harry Taylor having a shot after the siren as well. What what do you think the Bulldogs will throw at you?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it was terrific game of footy, wasn't it? The 32 goals scored. Marvel's provided some, some fantastic games throughout this season, I think. Um, I think... Both teams would like it to be slightly less free-flowing. You don't want the opposition kicking 15. But if you kick 17, you know, you you give yourself a chance, don't you? But they're well-balanced. They've obviously got a terrific midfield. Um, Bontempelli's a a big game-changer for them. He, in form, which he truly is, um, you know, he's one of the best players in the competition. So we're going to need to plan for that. Uh, McRae, I thought, was just outstanding on the week in some of his his ball use. He was breaking ankles with, with some of his movement. Uh, and then Jamara Yugal Hagen, as you mentioned off the top of the show, uh, it did feel like a bit of a coming of age. And even that last goal, it, it takes some knackers to have that shot because if you miss that shot, you give the opposition back the ball with 20 odd seconds, plenty, plenty of time in order to transfer play from one end of the ground to the other, like we saw with Collingwood today. So uh, it, it took some kahunas but he flushed it and it went gum barrel straight. So he um, you know that was terrific to see and I feel like um, you know the league's gonna have someone to watch over the next 10, 15 years.
1: It feels like the number one pickling is a curse if you're a key position player, really. I mean, you can see Sam Walsh, brilliant, comes in, has an impact instantly. But you know, Jamar yugo Hagen, running capacity, not probably to the AFL level, he's still got to fill out get used to being bodied up by multiple opponents. You expect so much of, of key position players so early. And I think Tom Hawkins is the great example of how long it can take. The 2011 grand final really was the match where he stamped himself as a, as a really good AFL player and he's gone on to kick over 700 goals. So Jamara's still a few years away, potentially, but you've been very bullish all along that Luke Beveridge needed to keep on playing him. Yeah, no question. And and it's and Paddy touched on this
2: before, actually. It, Joel Selwood, Chris Judd, Sam Walsh and now Nick Dacos ruin it for all of the top draft picks. Correct. They, they come Correct. in... And look as though they're just they're just meant for senior footy. This game's easy. I'm dominating. I'm not only dominating, but I'm also um, having a huge impact on my team winning games. That's what, it, that's what should happen. Simple as that. It, it's proof that some players take longer than others. And you're right about key position players often taking even more time. Jamara needs to continue to work on things in his game. You know, I... I think back to Tom. Let, let's use Hawke as the example. I think in his first season or two, he he had a one-off game where he kicked five goals. Might have been against a, a Melbourne team as well. From memory, I'm really racking my brain here. And you saw it and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we drafted. And the fans will go, oh, yeah, we have we found our next full forward. We're sorted here. And he doesn't get a kick the following week. Probably might have had two handballs. Jamara, Jamara might do that. Now, from Cats fans' perspective, that's what I hope happens. But... He might not touch the footy next week. That doesn't mean he can't play and he's not worth persisting with. It, it, his development is just years in the making. Max King, now he's more advanced than Jamara, but he's still going to have the odd game where he doesn't get near it. That It's part of the evolution of those highly talented key position players. We need to be patient. Not everybody is Sam Walsh or Joel Stelwood. Or Nick Dacos.
0: Who's got a bigger ceiling, do you think, Lingy? Max King or Jamara? Ooh. (laughs) We we debated this the other day, actually, at at the footy club. We were talking about it.
2: Every now and then I see Max King fly for a mark, doesn't mark it, and then end up at ground level as though he just shrunk a foot or maybe two foot. He becomes like he's five foot five and he's and he's darting around, he's picking the ball up below his knees and going, somebody who's 202 centimetres or whatever he is should not move Shouldn't like that. Shouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> no. But, but then I also, Paddy, came right through the Buddy Franklin era um, from this skinny, raw kid that I looked at and thought, oh, is he, You know, is he going to be that good? To then a year or two later feeling like we could not stop him no matter how good a team we were. <laughs> And I can't help but have moments of, oh, no, we've got there's another buddy. How good is this going to be? This is amazing. Jamara at ground level. The the ground level work came before the marking. I I reckon we saw marking on on Saturday night for the first time from him. I reckon in the last month, we've seen the ground level, Jamara. And it is magnificent to watch. So I keep thinking, oh, Buddy, could Buddy be his ceiling?
1: That's a little unfair. I shouldn't even say that publicly. Oh, just a thousand goals. No, yeah. no, no issues there. Lee, no problems. He's gone past Gary Ablett Senior. So you, you worried there? Where did you land onto the debate? Um, danger in terms of King and, and also Ugal Hagen?
0: Well, it's that it's that balance of who's going to be more consistent. Do you feel maybe it's King that has greater consistency? But is there a ceiling that that we we may not even think would you know, is possible with with Jamara and, and that's, you know, every possibility and that's quite clearly the biggest challenge when it comes to recruiting players like this. And this is when the Western Bulldogs really went out on a limb when they recruited Marcus Pelly at the time. You know, he's this 194 hybrid midfielder. Is he going to be quick enough? Is he, is he going to be solid enough versus... The, the, you know, the, the known quantities in the really big high possession winners as, you know, 17, 18-year-olds that, you know, you get it right and you get a generational player who probably goes down as just about their best ever. Um, that's, that's that balance when you're taking risks as recruiters and you're thinking, you know, if you think for your team at home, what you're, what you're building, what do you want, you know, what are you feeling first to keep position stocks, um, you, you want depth in your midfield, but you need these X-factor players that can turn a game on their head. And that's why they're so highly sought after. I, I don't, I can't answer it. I'm not sure, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind both. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be very, very handy for any team. Lingy, um, people were already a little already prepared to question why the Western Bulldogs might be interested in a play like Rory Lobb. And it seems given his personal circumstances that he is headed back to Melbourne, leaving the Fremantle Dockers, does Jamara eugle Hagen's where did you stand on it initially? And and what does Jamara eugle Hagen's progression do to the debate and, and whether they should be really looking at a play like Lobb?
2: I, I don't see why they would. Um, I'm, I'm not in... I don't see the Western Bulldogs as a good landing. Sorry, I don't think the Western Bulldogs should go after Rory Love because will it take time away from Hugo Hagen? Maybe not. Maybe he's that good anyway, but um, I just don't see it fitting. Then they've got Sam Darcy coming eventually. Uh, Will it take 20, 40 games away from him? I'd rather back in this supreme high-end talent that you have in you know, Hugo Hagen, Sam Darcy, you've already got Aaron Norton up there. You've got Josh Bruce who will just work and work and work and and at times take on the role of the, the battering ram forward who's still smart enough to kick your goals. I mean, he's still a very, very good goalkeeper, but he maybe will go in as the second ruck if necessary. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't understand why. And so you're going to have to enlighten me is Rory Love purely wanting to come back because of a personal decision and a family situation because I, yeah, I, long- I think that
1: is behind it. Yeah. I it would certainly leaving. would not be the environment at Fremantle because I'll, Justin Longmuir was. I'm, I'm not leaving Fremantle. There,
2: no, no way. i got plenty of time to come back and do the family stuff uh, when my career is over and I'm on the doorstep potentially of Fremantle's first ever premiership over the next two or three years, I'd be doing what I can to stay there and be part of Justin Longmuir's team. I think it's, yeah,
1: he's got
0: it's, something also, going. it's also what makes it, what's the easiest for you as a player? Now, once you, you get in an environment, you start to really understand how the players around you play, uh, you start to experience success, which is what Fremantle are starting to do. Like You're going to be a better player in another 12 months' time, having been around that knowing how your teammates play, how they position themselves, how they move, you know. So for your own, you know, I think for your own personal development and getting the most out of your game as an as AFL player, it's, it's the known quantity of your teammates and what you've got around you. And then you add to that the fact that they're, you know, more than successful. This is, this is a really good side. It's, you know, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, if you want to be the, the best player that you can possibly be.
1: Danger, um, I know you were watching the Collingwood-Essendon game today. I just want to get your reaction to, obviously the the AFL's come out and they've, you know, reinforced. Is it a change? Probably not. It's just a, a reinforcing of the rule around dropping at the knees and inducing high contact. The player must take responsibility if they are the person that, that brings about the high contact. Jack Ginnivan, second-year player, he's become the lightning rod in this debate. He's a, you know... He rubs people up the wrong way. He's a polarising figure. He's loved at Collingwood. He's a very talented player. But calling the game today, he certainly was the victim of his reputation in the first quarter, I thought. What was your opinion on on what took place there? And,
0: indeed, the treatment of Jack Ginevitt. Yeah, look, it would seem so, I think. I think maybe potentially that's one that's reviewed. And simply because it was him that has been the focus of this rule interpretational readjustment, if you will, um, You know, does that highlight it even more that it just wasn't going to be paid? So I understand the rationale behind it. It makes sense. You want to make sure that players aren't putting themselves in a position where they're going to contribute to consistent head high knocks. But there's a caveat there that, you know, when they're there to be paid, you've also got to reward the player that's getting their head knocked off. And that's probably blurring the lines, that one. I think that one needs to be paid because I didn't see someone that was dropping his knees automatically. It was fierce and he was coat hanging, you know. So, you know, it's a really tough position to, to be in as a really young player when so much conversation has been around how you play the game. And, and I must say, like from, from the outside, it looks like, you know, Collingwood has to have done an incredibly good job around providing those support mechanisms because he looks free on the field and whether that's his personality or or whatever, but he does look like he still loves the game. Now, I would imagine for a lot of players that would be a very, very challenging period in your career when there is just so much conversation about it. But, you know, perhaps that's the personality that thrives off it. But I, I reckon that one's probably one that got wrong.
1: I'm, With your I'm, AFL Players Association delegate hat on, do, do you worry about him, given the the sheer magnitude of the, well, the level of hate coming his way from opposition supporters, and then add to that the fact that it does seem like we had a categorical instance of it today. He's being
0: umpired differently. Get it right, Al. I'm not a delegate. I'm the president. I make the calls, mate. So it's just
2: <laughs> My apologies, mate. That that that's,
0: there, that's excellent.
1: The, the press. Bruce Linder. (laughs) Joe
2: Joe Biden's not a delegate of the USA, Al. Come on.
1: Yeah, very true. (laughs) Danger, I I apologise. I just see you as a a very gifted footballer, Brownlow medalist, potential (laughs) premiership (laughs) winning midfielder for the Geelong Football Club, and everything else is secondary to that other than your role on the podcast and a few other things you're doing in the background that we'll get to of vastly more importance than your (laughs) AFLPA stuff.
0: My apologies, mate. Look, I'll try not to. Oh, this is the teleprompter I'm reading right now. I'll try not to read, end, end of page. <laughs> it's been, been an issue for a few precedents of why You were due for a demotion, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely one that we monitor, you know, and you check in um, on the player, on the club. Um, they're a terrific club. So, you know, we know that their players are really well catered for. Um, but, yeah, you do have to be concerned. Of it. It, it, is, it is so vastly different from... You know, from when Lingy played, the, the the access that you get to players now, as a general public, it, it's it's one of the biggest challenges in the game, and it's great. It opens a door to see the the behind the scenes stuff of the players that you you love to follow, but it does open the door also, um, you know, for the hate and vitriol that that our players are exposed to, um, and it's a it's a real balancing act, and it's one that we're we're continually you know educating our players on. Clubs are educating their players on uh, and we've got to be vigilant around.
2: I'm, I'm fearful with the on-field stuff really quickly, Paddy. Um, I'm fearful that because of the reinterpretation or the the readjustment to the rule, that it's going to end up where responsibility is now a little bit off the tackler. And so the one today with Ginevan, we see that to me... That's a free kick. That's a swinging arm. That's probably even copping a week in the NRL with that one, with a, just a big high shot. That's a free kick. But I reckon we even saw a couple over the weekend. Horn Francis down in Hobart. It, it's the, the tackler has, I suppose, more allowance to go high if there's any suggestion that the player with the ball is dipping in or, or um, ducking or, or leaning into the tackle. Um, I think we've made it harder now for the umpires to to adjudicate what's uh, what's an example of no he contributed to the high contact versus a player simply lowering their center of gravity to make a move on an opposition player. So you don't you don't stay standing up in your upright position at six foot three if a tackler's coming at you. You plant your feet, you crouch, you make a move one way or the other. Naturally you probably drop three inches in your about-to-make-a-move stance. So that's not just free reign then for the tackler to go, well, I can still go high because I'm probably going to get away with this. So I'm a little bit fearful we might end up with some headshots from less responsibility being on the tackler.
0: I think we're we're probably going to be in a, in a little period of adjustment over the next few weeks. Like we're discussing, you know, mate, what is there, five to eight maybe different circumstances throughout you know, the weekends of footy, over a 1,000 minutes of footy played. And there's, you know, we're, we're, we're nitpicking with these um, different instances. So I, I think it's really difficult quite clearly for the umpires when there is an interpretational change throughout the season. But it's justified when you're talking about, you know, providing an environment where you're trying to promote health and safety for the players. But I, I reckon we're going to have an adjustment period over the next couple of weeks where we're finding that middle ground between, you know, not rewarding the, the player ducking, but also, as you said, Lingy, not then having open slather around players being able to really, you know, swing the arm or, or collect players' head high which potentially, you know, can lead to concussion because you're not concerned around that head high hit because of this adjustment. So I think we're a couple of weeks, you know, it's worth discussing in a couple of weeks time and we go, all right, where's it at? Where was that first week, the second week and the third? Has there been an adjustment? What have we learnt from it? And that's no doubt what, you know, the conversations that they'll be having at AFL house. Danger, you've been very
1: generous with your time. Just want to touch on the things that you're doing off the field, complementing what you're doing on it at the moment. We can see in the background, the the field is a podcast that you're doing with Josh Jenkins. You've started doing some commentary work with Channel 7. It's absolutely fantastic to have you part of the commentary team and you took to it like a duck to water as well. I'm doing some writing for the 7 News website as well. Just give us a, a little insight into what's taking you down that path. Are you enjoying it?
0: I love it. I've always really enjoyed the media. I love engaging in these sorts of conversations around the health of the game, where the game's going. I think it's going to be a fascinating 12 to 24 months with with where the game goes, around broadcast, around exposure. I think there's great opportunities to to bring people into the inner sanctum of uh, AFL clubs and the mindset of players and I think that's an important thing for the game to do with what and how our supporters and members have stuck by the game and really got us through COVID. So, um, you know, I love those conversations and, and, you know, it's sort of, it's made sense to, to join seven and start to, to, you know, write some articles around things that I think are really quite topical within the industry. And then, um, you know, joining with you guys and, and talk about the game. I'm really passionate about it. I love talking about it. And, um, you know we're privileged to be involved in it you know the game's given me so much and and I feel like um you know I want to show the passion that I've got for the game and talk about the different things that are that are interesting that are topical uh you know that, that can help improve the game
1: yeah coach is very supportive I think it would be remiss of me not to get a thought from the champion player Patrick Dangerfield on what he thinks about the prospect of a 19th License. Um, Chris Scott came out and said that he was very supportive of the Tasmanian team. It should happen as soon as possible. What do you think, Deja?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm in line with that thinking. Um, you know, the, there's quite clearly uh, far more well-versed people than the three of us around the finances of it. I understand that, but I think Tassie deserves a team. I think. It would only improve the game. It's not going to detract from it. I think we've learned a lot as a league and there's no doubt the Suns and the Giants have learned a lot around their uh, introduction into the league, what they would do differently. And I think there's an opportunity for this Tasmanian team um, to to do it better than the Gold Coast and do it better than the Giants. And that's what we should hope for as a league. When they do come in um, and, and I'm, you know, I think that'll happen hopefully quite soon that they're, competitive quickly, I think there's an opportunity for that. Like when Adelaide first joined um, the AFL back in, you know, I think it was 91, um, that balance of older players, I think you can do that with Tasmania because you'll attract families and then you have obviously the draft concession. So um, getting that part right is quite clearly important. The infrastructure of Roof Stadium is, is important. But then there's, there's other things that you can do throughout a season that can make this far easier as well and more attractive for players. It makes sense to send Tasmania on the road, play the Gold Coast Suns, play Brisbane back-to-back, spend three weeks up in the middle of Queensland in the middle of winter, um, and, and then get back home. Summer throughout Tassie is it's a brilliant time, so I'm really, really positive on it. I think it's it, it will be a great thing for our game.
1: Love it, Danger Lingy. I used to wear the number 45 on my back, I'm taking 10 <laughs> off. My new favorite Geelong player is absolutely <laughs> Patrick Dangerfield. Based on that assessment, good on you, Danger. Love it, mate.
2: Now, hey, just got to take five more off,
1: get to number 30, Tommy Atkins. I'm sorry, yes, mate. Yes, I'm, yes, I'm so true. sorry. <laughs> Danger, it's been a real pleasure having you. Thanks so much, mate. And, and to see what the team's doing this season, it's been outstanding. And, and let's hope this is the year for you guys because it, it's a credit that you get yourself into this position year after year. And it'll be terrific to see you holding up
0: the cup, mate. That's the aim, boys. That's the aim. So, um, yeah, we're building as a team. We're, uh, we're confident with where we're going. And uh, Thanks for having me tonight. Enjoyed, um, enjoyed taking the game. It's great Thank to be you. able to refer to you as Seven Zone Patrick <laughs> Danger. We'll
1: speak soon, mate. Thanks, boys.
0: The Al and Lini show.
1: Terrific to be joined by Patrick Dangerfield, and you can see all his work on 7 with his writing and his podcasts as well, and you'll see him as part of our broadcast throughout the season too, which it's great to get the insights of the players who are weekly out on the ground and, and compliment the excellent experts that we already have, like Cameron Ling, who was at the MCG today, Lingy, and Essendon, the way they fought back, showed an evolution in their game this year and their capacity to defend and compete for, for longer periods in a game when they were down early by 37 points. So that was a clear shift in the way Essendon has, has played later in the season. They've taken some good scalps in recent weeks, but again, Collingwood, this, this ability to win tight games, they were what 20 points down at the 10 minute mark of the last quarter. It's now eight games in, in a row that they've won by a total margin of 66 points and nine games in a a row that they've won in, in total. So there's some serious substance about Collingwood Lingy. I didn't, I didn't think they'd be where they are. They are now in the top four. And I ask you, what, what are their prospects of staying there? Could they actually finish in the top four and get the double chance?
2: Could they? Well, I can't say no to that question just because they show, they've shown us time and time again. Um, I think, just quickly breaking down today's game, you can, almost, you can almost segment it into, first of all, seeing Collingwood at their scintillating best early. Some of that football was just sublime. The ball movement, incredible. Their defensive work, the, the way that they were just moving and using each other was the most fluent version of Collingwood I reckon I've seen. And then you switch to Essendon and you say, okay, this is the evolution of Essendon. Essendon were garbage for the first half of the season. Then they started playing some much better football and they start, the last month has been really good. And to be six goals down against a team playing their best football in front of a huge crowd, well, the team from the first half of the year loses that game by 85 points. But the team from the last month the team that maybe we thought Essendon would be this year fights back and gets that 20-point lead, playing some really wonderful footy themselves and their midfield took over, their contested ball work and the best version of Zach Merritt. No jump, mm. no garbage, no ring a rosy handballs. We all get a touch. We all count our numbers. High impact, good quality ball use. Defense was excellent. Mason Redmond's mark was Terrific. unbelievable. Unfortunately, he got hurt from it. The forward line was working really well. Great version of Essendon. And then we flick to the final segment of the game, which was, as Craig McRae referred to it, as the spirit of Collingwood at the moment. And just that belief and that incredible unity they have as a group to be probably angry at themselves that they'd coughed up a great lead, to then think, no, we can still do this and let's stay strong. And Jack Crisp, the moment where Crisp took the game on in the middle of the ground and it looked kind of half chaotic, ugly. Oh, this is going to break down. This is going to end up a turnover. This is going to end up an Essendon goal. And he got through and they kicked a goal. He reignited that Collingwood group thing. Yeah, let's take the game on and get back to playing our, our exciting, bold football. And they gave themselves a chance. And I mean, it, it was still, <laughs> it was, it still took a moment of, just sheer unbelievableness (laughs) to create a word for Jamie Elliott to take the mark, not even hesitate. He went back. He's like, nah, I got this. No worries at all. Didn't hear the siren? Didn't, did not hear the siren. I thought he was running around for sure. I thought it was going to be a late run around, open up the goals. The siren was going to go. He'd be crushed. He's like, nah, set shot, on 50, on the boundary, not a problem. Did not even look like missing it. So, I... I still think Essendon were really good in the game despite losing a crushing loss for them. But it shows what Collingwood have bottled and what Craig McRae's done. Yeah. Uh, they, they, were, they were brilliant. They were Their belief is unbelievable. I, I mean, the, the law of averages, the law of odds say they're going to lose one of those. Now, that could be one of those come September and that could be crushing for them. But right now they just know what to do when the game's on the line and they're doing it. So anything is possible.
1: Yeah. The the spirit is so obvious and gee, it was special to be at the MCG. There is no better place. There's no better sporting atmosphere than when the MCG is just going ballistic and you've got two great rivals and there are over 70,000 people there. The noise inside the stadium at the end of the game was absolutely phenomenal spine tingling and, JB's call of the goal of Dacos, brilliant. And then the end of the game as well was was outstanding. So Collingwood run home for the Magpies to try and stay in the top four. Port Adelaide at the MCG, Melbourne at the MCG, Sydney at the SCG and Carlton at the MCG. A long way out, I was looking at that round 23 game, Carlton and Collingwood at the MCG. It's a tough run for Collingwood, but there is a chance that that match could determine a top four spot because Carlton winning again today against GWS keeps their top four hopes alive. Kurnow kicked four goals for the blues. Saad took a fantastic mark, so did Toby Green. It was a a good win to Carlton, but yeah, we've got one spot available at the bottom end of the eight Western Bulldogs occupying eights and Kilda still in the running and Richmond, although that, that draw, we have to get to that and, and the way Richmond in three weeks in succession, have managed to, to cough up games they should have won. Gee, it's a fascinating fight, though, for Geelong top four lock. Melbourne looking a little bit wobbly. Brisbane should finish in the top four, but are oh. they quite at the top level of teams in the competition? You've got Fremantle that at their best have been brilliant and Sydney, as we said last week, just lurking in the background, ready to, to swoop and starting to take some scalps as well. I think
2: yeah, I'm with you. Geelong's a lock top four. I think Melbourne's a lock top four. Yeah, they just they get there. Brisbane's a lock for me top four. I reckon there's one spot left in that top four. Okay, um, presently occupied by Collingwood. Um, I think Fremantle just starting to see signs of a younger team doing this for the first time. Banged up bodies tie and and with the frenetic pace and energy they play with at times. Um, they're relying on their wonderful defence, but they don't have that game-breaking, consistent run just because of the, the, probably the age of their group. And, and maybe they're doing it a little early. That doesn't mean they can't hit a nice little fresh run and maybe they taper off the training a little bit and they, they get across the ground a bit more. So I'm not counting them out for one second. Um, Sydney, yeah, I'm, we, we spoke about it last week. Feel like there's a little bit of sleeping on them. Um, so that can come. It's funny you talk about Collingwood's run home there. So the way the belief they've got in the unity and the incredible football they're playing, they could be they could go three and one or four and zero in that run. But they could just as easily go zero and four. It is that tough a run. Port Adelaide are not going to play finals this year, and they are a very good team. And then you've got Melbourne. Excellent team. Sydney at the SCG, excellent team. And the traditional rivals, Carlton, to finish it off. Now, I back in the fact that Collingwood won't go zero and four. But if you told me they did, I wouldn't be.
1: I sort of understand you'd look at the quality of opposition that they yeah. faced and, and, yeah, a good team could conceivably lose those four games, couldn't
2: they? The, the eighth spot, the one that you said is available there, I feel like it's Richmond or the... or The Richmond or the Dogs are the two better teams out yep. of there. They, I, I, I'm not a believer in St Kilda. They, they willed themselves to win over West Coast. Well done. Congratulations. Dan Butler found some form. Kicked five. Terrific. But just what I've seen over the last month, I, I certainly have gone back to not being able to believe totally in St Kilda. The Dogs... It's funny what can be discovered. Luke Beveridge has shown he is a master of this, of uh, the Cape Buffalo and and just uniting that group and finding a little button to push here and there and and motivating them. They have that really good win last week and then they have this incredible win against Melbourne. What do the Dogs do now? Last Mm. year's run to the grand final and the incredible 2016 run came from deep in the eight yeah, top four, and they found something at the right time. Can they do something similar again? That—that's that—that's that bulldog's mystery about if they can they can capture their best form at the right time. That's a team can get on the run. But then I've seen Richmond play brilliant football at times over the last month and have absolutely nothing to show for it except for two points on Friday night. Uh, so, which one do I believe in there? I still feel if you're a top eight team, quietly, you'll never admit this, you're sitting there quietly crossing your fingers saying, gee, I hope Richmond don't make it. I don't want to play them. Mm. Uh, You'd hate to get them at the G, slightly, maybe slightly drizzly night, uh, big crowd, the big Richmond crowd. I don't think anyone wants that. You could equally say that
1: about the Dogs. The Dogs' best is outstanding. And and 2016 is the great case in point that they just made the finals, finished seventh, got on an absolute tear during the final series. Cinderella run, took all before them, including winning in the West in the first week of the finals. That was amazing. I'm not sure that they can replicate that, but I also think they could potentially be dangerous if they made it. I agree with you around St Kilda. It just as well as they started the season, they haven't been able to sustain it throughout the year. And and it was quite telling. I thought the way they started that game against the Western Bulldogs a couple of weeks ago, that for a side that really had its season on the line to come up so short, just probably don't quite deserve to finish in the top eight. And then, Let's look at the runs for Western Bulldogs, Geelong at Cadenia Park, Fremantle at Marvel, GWS at Marvel, and Hawthorne in Launceston. Two pretty stern tests coming up, should beat GWS and should beat Hawthorne, but then that match is at a venue where Hawthorne have typically played very well. And and should beat
2: Fremantle, I think, at Marvel,
1: Yep, should do, should do. And then Richmond, uh Brisbane at the MCG. That that's the live and free game on seven, three twenty on Sunday, Lingy. I think you're doing that that game. That is going to be a, a belter. Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. Hawthorne at the MCG, Essendon at the MCG. So I would almost say that they have a similarly difficult draws in a way. Richmond and and the Western Bulldogs, just looking at at the line. Given Port Adelaide's playing well, Hawthorne going okay, and Essendon is is better than it was some weeks ago so richmond's run home isn't overly easy either
2: no it's not uh we can we can officially put a line through port adelaide and the gold coast Suns. Uh, i think yeah
1: i think we can as much as you looked at that port adelaide performance against geelong and saw a side that was capable and had not endured such a poor start to the year zero and five then probably would be contending for finals and, and maybe capable of winning a final but Too little, too late, the damage done early. And and yeah, with Gold Coast, again, Lingy, they've come up short. So Mm. a better second half of the season than we've seen from them previously, but not quite ready to take that that next step. But you can see the planks being laid, can't you, by Stuart Jew and the the group of players. And we had Tuke Miller on this this program last week, and I could not have been more impressed with him as a leader and a builder of culture and a a person of great loyalty and and high character. So it seems like they have talents culture building and coach locked in success is is not too far away. Surely for the Suns, it needs to be not too far away.
2: No, it does. Yeah. They've, they've had access to lots and lots of early draft picks. They've got some talent there. They were hit by injuries at the, the wrong time. I think with Weller going down, hurt them. Um, was Buderick went down as well. Buderick um, obviously Ben King before the season. That's the last thing they, they needed. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it should be just around the corner, finals. It should be next year, but... No guarantees. There's a, we all came into this season probably thinking Essendon and playing finals. We probably thought Port Adelaide was playing finals. It's not going to happen. There's no certainty around it. Teams are only getting better. You think North Melbourne are in for a tough few years and West Coast Eagles are in for a tough few years. But outside of that, I'm not, I don't want to jump and dismiss this year, but you jump to next year, there's 16 teams you could make some good cases of, Yeah, uh, could finish in the top eight. So the Suns are no certainty for next year, but they've laid some good platform. I, I think Port Adelaide is, is why coaches put so much into those first four or five games of the year, getting off to a good start. Port Adelaide were really good against Melbourne last week and Coszy Pickett was the, the difference. And then really good against the Cats, the two best teams in the competition. Mm. Now, if they lose those two games, which is probably fair enough because they are the two best teams in the comp, but they'd won two games in the first five games of the year, it's not end of the world stuff. You, yeah. you, can, you can trade them off. But when you go zero and five, good luck after that. It's, it's, it's too hard. So they're out, both of those. As I said, Saints probably for me miss it. It's Richmond and the Dogs. For eighth spot, uh, and you, you're probably right. Just as tricky a draw home, not not unbelievably difficult, yeah. but just Collingwood's got a harder really run home.
1: Collingwood's yeah. got a harder run home than than both of them, I think. But that's the very interesting aspect of all of this. Who finishes eighth? Who, as you say, gets that fourth spot as well? It's been a great season so far. I've got plenty more to come. Live and free on Channel Seven Friday night. In Perth, where Melbourne has very happy memories, taking on the Fremantle Dockers. Saturday night at the Cattery Lingy, Geelong and the Western Bulldogs never failed to deliver those two. And then Sunday, Richmond versus the Brisbane Lions is the 320 game at the MCG.
2: And Channel 7 will be covering a couple of huge milestones. So Shane Edwards will play game 300 yes. in the Sunday game, and Joel Sullivan will play game 350. Yes, Saturday night against the Doggies. So, some terrific games coming up and some wonderful milestones as well. Hey, after a weekend like I've just had, Al, and the footy that I've watched, it it just sets up – it's a reminder of why I love footy so much. It sets up what the end of the year is going to be. The under-9s and
1: the under-10s, Henry and Maxie had a win. I just think footy's a bloody great game, Al. I'm full smiles at the moment. And we're hitting that time of the year where you start to get those classic days like we had at the MCG. We're at 16 or 17 degrees, perfect blue sky. Yarra Park's going to firm up so people can park there. Again, it's just, it's a wonderful time, Lingy. We didn't even discuss the boats down the Yarra River, but that's a conversation for another time, perhaps. Let's hope we just have a good grand final parade, whatever shape it takes. Mate, good chatting to you. We'll do it all again next week. And let's hope that the round of football delivers like it did this week. Thanks, Al. Have a wonderful week and all the best as you gear
2: up towards the big Commonwealth Games too. I know you've been putting in a mountain of work for that. So I can't wait to hear your voice amongst many others on Seven with the Comm Games. That'll be fantastic, but
1: enjoy your week. Good on you, mate. The beauty is that the Commonwealth Games will be in the middle of the night, meaning there's plenty of time to still watch and take in some footy and chat through it with you, albeit bleary-eyed, mate. I'll, I'll chat to you next week. Good on you. Thanks, Al.